0: Welcome to the Anchor Podcast, a ministry of Rock Harbor Church. We want to help you grow in your walk with the Lord by an in-depth study of the Word of God. So grab your Bible and let's set a course for spiritual maturity. Here's Pastor Brandon with today's message.
1: Let's turn to our Bibles. We're going to continue in our series in Genesis, and we're going to look at the second half of Genesis chapter 9. We're going to look at verses 7 through 17 And what we're looking at is the Noahic Covenant, which is is still in effect today, and we're going to look at the second half of it. Last week, we looked at the blood aspects according to it. We looked at the capital punishment. We looked at the institution of government being installed at this point in time, and those are all still with us today. So we're going to look at the other aspects of it as well. Here's the title of today's message, Accepting the Reality of What God Promises. Now, that's an interesting way of putting it, because what some Christians do in the new life they have in Christ is they understand that there are promises made in the Bible, but sometimes they don't know what promises go with what. Sometimes they overrealize the promise. Sometimes they add to the promise. Sometimes they detract from the promise, and this becomes very confusing for many Christians. For instance, when God makes a promise to Israel, when my people Israel are called by my name and humble themselves... What do a lot of Christians do? They adopt that promise into their own life, into the church's life, and don't understand that's talking to Israel as a nation. The my people in the text is Israel. But a lot of Christians will misapply that and put that on them and put that on our nation, United States, and they misapply a promise. Or how about this? My God will supply all your needs according to His glorious riches in Christ. Then what happens is they read into that what their needs are, and their needs turn into wants, but they think their want is a need, and they read into that promise and say, See, God will provide what I need. God, I need a million dollars. Would you please provide that? And obviously he doesn't deliver it, but they'll they'll do things like that. And then what happens when they over-realize that promise? Well, God somehow is not meeting my need. I must be lacking faith or or something weird, and they won't come up with the right conclusion Is no, you're taking a promise out of context and reading into it. One of the things about the you're going to see the promise of the Noahic Covenant here, and I think what you start have to realize as we enter into this new life of Christ is what promises fit to us as the church body, and what does the promise really entail? Not to read more into it. Like, for instance, the word of faith movement reads into promises and takes promises that are for Israel in the millennial kingdom and puts it on them. Like, they'll be healthy and they'll be wealthy and, and, you know, they should have no problems in life if they have faith. That's kingdom language for the messianic age, but they'll, Christians will apply that to them today and say, yeah, see, I should be healthy. Well, welcome to reality. Reality says you won't be healthy. And so what they do is they realize that, okay, I'm, I'm clinging to that promise of health and which is not real, and then what happens? They get sick. And then what happens to their faith? They lose their faith in that sense because, well, God said I was supposed to be healthy or wealthy or pay my bills or whatever it is. And then they start having faith problems because they're not interpreting the uh, promises from God correctly. So get this. This is the latest in overrealizing a promise. This is crazy. There's a church now, I shouldn't say a church, several churches and a group of churches now offering a money-back guarantee for giving. The mindset is you give to our church and you don't reap a blessing in your life, then we'll give you your money back. How stupid is that? And you know, you think about it, what person would say, yeah, that's, that's like a charlatan on TV selling a vacuum, money back guarantee, 30, 30 days, or you can have your money back. What? And, and the blessing they're proposing is, you know, you'll be, you'll get your bills paid and you're going to be healthy and all this stuff. I guarantee you that church is going to give them back a lot of money after it's all said and done. Because how dare they tempt the Lord in saying, no, oh, he'll deliver for you. If you just give us your money, that's insane. But yet Christians are buying into this. So anyway, what you're going to look at today is the Noahic promise. You're seeing the Noahic covenant flush itself out as the Lord delineated what the stipulations are and what's going to happen. Now you're going to see God saying, I'm going to make good on this promise. And obviously we're going to see the token of that in the rainbow that he provides. But here's what I want us to understand. What is the nature of the promise? What does it promise specifically, and what does it not promise? And then you'll start understanding as we branch into the New Covenant what that promises and what it doesn't promise. Okay, verse 7, let's start there. It says this, And as for you, be fruitful and multiply. That's a reiteration that he said to Adam and Eve that he wants Noah and his family to continue that, that out. Okay, so have babies. Um, bring forth abundantly in the earth and multiply in it. That second passage means spread out. As you're having children, I need you to spread out and go into all the corners of the earth and establish civilization. Seems simple, seems easy, but it actually is a test to man of whether or not he will spread out, okay? Okay. So what, what man is, has up to this point been good about, he's been having children, which is good. He's obeying that part of the command. But what you'll see from this point on, from Noah to the Tower of Babel, is man refuses to spread out. And again, this is the dispersion that started happening with people groups after the, the Tower of Babel. But before then, they were all stuck between you know the Euphrates and the Tigris in the Fertile Crescent, and they would not leave that area. Now, what are the implications of all this? Well, last week as we studied, the Noahic Covenant establishes government and establishes the government has the right to capital punishment on murder. Okay, if you're going to have that and you're going to have governments and God is saying, I need you to spread out, he is saying and desiring a multiplicity of individual independent governments that have the ability to wield the sword to take care of business if someone murders other people. And it then establishes a whole legal system. Now, I want you to follow this because this will show you right here the opposite of what our world's trying to do and the opposite of what happened at the Tower of Babel. God is saying, I want you to spread out and I want individual governments all over the world. I don't want a one-world government... I don't want humanity clumped up together. I want them to spread out and have their own forms of government. And I want you to think about the implications of that, what's happening now. What is the buildup now? Everyone's pushing a one world government. And I told you to pray for this next election because if you get anyone from the left, they're all pushing one world government. They want the UN to take over. They want to submit the United States to the governing body of the UN. That's why they don't want borders. That's why they're uh, you know, they pushing unity at all costs. They're going against this fundamental passage right here of God saying, spread out, have individual governments. Think about this on a teaching level. The passage is teaching that as, as education in the United States, it should be up to the individual county to determine what they're going to do for their districts. I want you to think about that on a local level instead of the state of california telling everybody what to do or instead of the federal government the department of education telling all school systems what to do that's just on a, a, a an example when you have a government or a state telling all the districts what to do how easy is it to control them and the information that comes out so everything that comes through the current high school district comes from the state of California and the federal government, which is pushing an agenda. See, the problem with this is, and you think about this on a religious level, think about the Catholic Church. The Catholic Church is dominated by the Vatican. So guess what? How many people does Satan have to corrupt to corrupt the entire Catholic Church? One. How easy is that? And we got almost a walking false prophet right in front of our very eyes. If this is not the guy, I don't know who is. Man, he is. Man, he's the best candidate for it. So Satan all he has to do is corrupt one person. In a one world government, if, if ten or even one individual controls that one world government, all Satan has to do is get the guy to bend a knee to him, which we will in the future, at the, the Antichrist. So what you start seeing, the, let's talk about churches then. If that's the principle that God wants independent, spread out, I don't want you guys clumped up under one organization, Think of the implications for the churches. Do you realize now there is no single denomination that has not been touched by apostasy at the higher levels? Calvary Chapel, Southern Baptist, you just keep naming them. You know the other Presbyterians have went the sideways. Methodists have went sideways. Liberal Baptists have went sideways. And why? Because what happened is at the higher levels, they got corrupted in the denominational levels and then that that went to the seminaries, and then that flushed out through the pastors going to the local churches. And whole denominations got destroyed from the top. So what does God desire of the church? He wants individual, independent churches functioning without a hierarchy above that church. Now, there's a hierarchy within that church, but he does not want them receiving messages from whether it's the Vatican or uh, some type of convention or synod or whatever telling the local churches what to do, and why? because if he can corrupt if Satan can corrupt the top, he can corrupt all the churches, so independent churches can be immune from that if a church goes sideways and then they're independent, then they're sideways, but it doesn't affect the rest of the other churches. The other churches are safe, so that's it's a a protective mechanism not only for the churches but it's a protective mechanism for society you want individual nations you don't want a one-world government cuz it will control everybody you want countries to be on their own and independent this is what trump is causing a thorn in their side he is not for globalism and again i'm not endorsing you know an, any candidate i'm just trying to tell you what's happening why do you think trump is getting so attacked He's being attacked by globalists who want a one-world government. That's what the issue is. He's an outsider. He doesn't buy into their nonsense. And again, I show you that on a political level to understand that's where all the attacks are coming, but this is where all the attacks are coming in the churches, and now individual churches are losing their churches because their denomination has went liberal And they're saying, well, we want out. And they're saying, well, fine, you want out? Give us back the property. And so these churches are losing their facilities because the pastor has enough guts to say, we're not going with you guys. So they lose their facilities. Or they lose their backing, their credibility or whatnot, and they have to go independent and start from scratch. This little principle here is profound. It is what's kept us from the one world government for all these years, and yet now today... We're heading headlong into a one-world system. And you and I, if the rapture doesn't happen soon, are going to watch the formation of this. How long do you think it can go like this? When the generations below us all believe that a one-world system is awesome and needs to happen. You're only one generation away because everyone below us believes that. Scary, huh? What will happen in this situation? Man will fail. He will fail to spread out. We'll look at that in the Tower of Babel coming up. But he will fail to spread out. He will clump up. And guess what he gets clumped up under? One dude named Nimrod who is an Antichrist figure and is a Nephilim. And before you know it, it gets corrupted again, and it's a major disaster, which will happen in the future. God will allow it. And then usher in the real type, the Antichrist, to rule the world. Let's continue on, verse 7, or verse 8. Then the Lord spoke to Noah and his sons with him, saying, And as for me, behold, I will establish my covenant with you and with your descendants after you. That that includes us, by the way. It's still in effect today. And with every living creature that is with you, the birds, the cattle, every beast on the earth with you. Of all that go out of the ark, every beast of the earth. And basically the covenant then is going to show you that he's not going to destroy. Any living creature with water. And verse 11 points this out. Thus I establish my covenant with you. Never again shall all flesh be cut off by the waters of the flood. Never again shall there be a flood to destroy the earth. Now you read that and you understand it. Okay. So the promise is no more flooding, no more global flooding. Now here's what I want you to read into this. What is it not saying? You see what I'm saying? See, when you understand God's promises, you have to take it for what it says and then what it's not saying. He's saying, I won't destroy the earth by what? A flood or a water. But what does that leave? Fire is next. You see how to read the promises? He's not saying, I will never destroy the earth again. He's not saying that. I'm just not going to do it by water. But the next time we know from Isaiah and Peter... It's coming by fire, and that fire is defined as judgment, and that judgment is encapsulated in in Daniel's 70th week, and John showed us the framework of that 70th week, and it's through the 28 judgments in the book of Revelation. I say 28 instead of 21 because the 28 are the seven thunders, and they're not explained. So there's actually 28 judgments in that seven-year period. That will be the fire that comes upon the earth and then lastly the return of the Messiah as he destroys the rest of the enemies of himself on his own so that is the that that's a principle there I don't want you to miss because anytime you read the promises of God you must ask yourself what is it not saying you see what it says but what is it not saying and this is when people start reading things into the text the funny thing is now, you and I get this. We totally understand it. Yeah, it's going to be the tribulation. I get it. You understand that the majority of Christians don't know the fire is coming. They have no clue whether they're ignorant, willfully ignorant, or reinterpret the text because Peter makes his point in 2 Peter chapter 3 that in the last days, people will scoff about this. And he throws in Noah's flood. They will forget the Noah's flood incident, they will forget what God said and they will be willfully ignorant of the fire to come. How is that possible? Well, it comes back to this. When they read the text that you and I just read, they do a blanket and say, well, he'll just never destroy the earth again. We're all safe. But it doesn't say that, does it? It's by water I won't do it, but I'm doing it again another way. And so, what Peter is trying to say is they will, they will gloss over this particular text and read into it no more judgment. Guys, do you understand? That's the majority of Christians. They don't believe in a tribulation period. They don't believe in a rapture. They don't believe all the things that Book of Revelation says. Hence, they don't think the next judgment is coming. They think, as Peter talked about, they have a uniformitarianism in their mind, which means, Things have always gone along with our ancestors and they will continue on and nothing will change. And that's their mistake of not understanding this promise. It's only promising water won't destroy. And hence, they in essence will be like the generation prior to Noah where they are marrying and giving in marriage, going about their daily business as Messiah said, and suddenly, sudden destruction will come upon them. Now, I'm not talking about Christians being left behind. I'm talking about we're going to see a lot of pre-tribulational events happen, even if the rapture doesn't happen soon. We're going to see a lot of buildup. You're going to see maybe Psalm 83, Gog of Magog. You're going to see the, the building of the one world currency, the building of the one world government. You and I could all see that because that's, that's pre-tribulational events. You're, that means things will get rough for us. You're going to see persecution in America come to us because of what we're saying, how we behave, and, and the stances we're taking. It's coming if the rapture doesn't happen soon. You and I then are the most prepared to deal with that. These other Christians who are not prepared will be swept up in this storm, and unfortunately, because they're not prepared, they will compromise when the storm hits them. Because they're not ready. You and I are ready. We're watching. We're alert. We understand the signs of the times, and that makes us prepared to encounter what we're going to have to face. So you're in a good place. I know it's sometimes tough, but you're in a very good place compared to the people who are willfully ignorant of this. Verse 12, And God said, This is the sign of the covenant which I will make between me and you, and every living creature that is, uh, that is with you for perpetual generations. And he goes, verse 13, I set my rainbow in the cloud. Isn't that interesting? So here's what I want to unpack about the rainbow and, and some nuances about it because this is significant. I know a lot of people put this in a in kind of a, a children's fairy tale, but it's not. There's something behind this. There's symbolism behind the rainbow, and I kind of want to bring this out a little bit. Something about the rainbow, and here's, here's what you, what you need need to think about. There's seven colors in the rainbow. Seven in Hebrew is what? Perfection, right? Seven is perfection. Keep thinking with this. The rainbow is created by the dispersion of white light through the droplets of water, and it, it shows you something that was invisible and makes it visible. Which shows you the you know the different colors that you couldn't normally see uh, from that water. Or sorry, that light, that white light hitting the prism, so to speak, of water, and then showing you there's something more there that you didn't see before. Seven perfection. I'm seeing something that was invisible that's now visible. The rainbow, when you look from the sky, if you're in an airplane, it's not just a half bow; it's a complete circle. When and only when you look down from heaven upon it, if you're on the earth and you see a rainbow, you'll, you'll only see half of it. Okay, so it's a full circle. Actually, it's not a physical object. You can't approach it. You can see it, but you can't touch it. It's, you it, know, you know, and the thing is. You can go searching for rainbows and try to... You're not going to get close to it. You won't be able to to feel it, sense it, anything. You have to be at a certain angle to see it. You have to be at a 45-degree angle to see a rainbow. You have to be in the right position to see it. Keep noting this, okay? There are rainbows all around God's throne constantly, and you see this in Ezekiel, and you see this in the book of Revelation. So with those clues... I want you to start adding something up. I want you to understand what the rainbow symbolizes. Seven, which is perfection. It's showing you what that which was invisible is now visible, right? You have to be in the right position to see it. It's unapproachable. It's It's not tangible. And from above, you'll see a ring instead of a half circle. Take a guess at what the rainbow represents. It's a symbol of God. It's not just a symbol of his promises. It's a symbol for God. Notice he'll say that, look in verse 13, I set my rainbow where? In the cloud. So that term cloud, where does the Shekinah glory, which is light, show up as sometimes? Clouds. It's either a cloud, or it's fire, or it's this blinding light that God veils himself uh, or wraps himself in. When he manifests and the invisible becomes visible, you see the Shekinah. You see that blinding light. But then when it's seen through a prism, it creates a rainbow around his throne and obviously, the rainbow then is not just representative of the promises, it's a representative of God. So anytime that Noah saw that light, you should not only remember the promises God made, but it's a representation that God is present in the promises. Now again, it's not a manifestation of God. Understand that. I'm making a distinction. It's a symbol Of him, and you can now you start to realize, wow, it's saying a lot more than I think. Yeah, it's it's big time. The invisible, the invisible God becomes manifest. You can see him, but yet he's unapproachable. He's God lives in unapproachable light, right? God is symbolized by the number of seven. So it's all there. It's all you piece you piece this together, and you're like, wow, it's. That's pretty cool. But then from a human standpoint, when we're on earth, which we are now, we only see half the bow. We don't see the circle. The circle represents eternity. So when you look from down, it's it, it's an eternal bow. What is God? He He is eternal, right? But when you're on earth, you have to see it from a 45-degree angle, and you will only see it in a half bow. See, we don't see everything fully as we should, right? As Apostle Paul said, one day we will, but we see now dimly and we see partial things on this earth. But what does the partial rainbow, the half-bow, represent when we see it from a 45-degree angle and you have to be in that position to see it? In order to see that rainbow, I want you to think about salvation. You have to be in the right position. You have to be in Christ. You have to have come to faith in Him in order to see how God works and His manifestations. You have to be in that position. Otherwise, you won't see it. This is why the world doesn't see God. They're not looking for Him. They're not in the right position to look for Him. They have to humble themselves. They don't, they don't want to humble themselves. And so what it's teaching is you have to be in the right position, humble and with faith, and then you'll see the rainbow. Then you'll see what God, the God behind it everything but what does the half bow symbolize well it's interesting the way the jews see the half bow the term that's used in hebrew is for a bow and arrow that's what the term means it's a bow you see the you see the half there it looks like a bow and arrow right it looks like a bow question what direction is the bow facing if you were to fire an arrow from that bow. Did you see that? It's not coming down. It's not a bow shooting down. It's a bow shooting up to the heavens. I wonder what that means. He has just flooded the earth and killed the humanity on there, preserved those who believed in him, and now they start a new life. And he is saying the next cursing, that should come to humanity is coming to me. My son will take on the curse of humanity. So the bow is directed heavenward because you and I know it's the Messiah who will take the shot for us. He will take the arrow for us. He's pierced for our transgressions. The arrows of the nails will pierce him. You see the picture? It's Messiah will take on the next cursing that comes. Now, when you put that all together, it, it shows you a complete picture of what's to God's going to do for redemption. It's not just referring to Noah and I'll never flood. It's pointing forward to a future time where God's going to take the arrow. He's going to take the fall for us. Instead of killing humanity, he's going to allow his son to be killed and murdered for us. Isn't that amazing? So when you see the sacredness of the rainbow, what it represents, not only the promises, but God, but also the death of the Messiah, then today it should make you sick when the LGBT community has hijacked the rainbow. Notice this rainbow flag. But do you know something's missing? Can you tell what's missing? There's a color missing. The indigo on the rainbow is missing. Hence, the gay flag has six colors, not seven. I wonder if that's significant. You better believe it is. I don't know if they even know that. I think it just happened, and it's God's way of saying, you're not stealing my rainbow. Right? <laughs> Do you know what the number six signifies in the Bible? Man, incomplete. Man is incomplete. Sure enough, they have put six colors representing their incomplete without God. It's almost like they're waving their banner in rejection of God. Huh. Interesting. And then what does it turn into? Does it just stay there and we just want equal rights and we just want to get along and don't tell us what to do in, you know, in our homes. We just don't want our own privacy. We don't want you. We're not going to hurt you guys. Look at this. How does parents allow their kids in libraries to have drag queen story hours with that demonic creature sitting there like that teaching them a story? You got to know that the culture's gone at this point. If this doesn't wake you up to how gone our culture is and how goofy and foolish people are, I don't know what else does. You have a dude dressed up as a, a drag queen demon. He looks like a demon. And the stupid parent right there and a lot of these other stupid parents putting their kids right in front of that demonic creature. They have lost their minds. But this is cool now. They're mocking the rainbow. In essence, when you mock the rainbow, you mock God, right? Look at these other pictures. How about this? Story time with drag queen. All right, look at that. A bearded demon creature reading a book at our, our public libraries. And they told us they just wanted their own time in their home and just leave them alone to their own privacy. Did you expect them to do this? to corrupt kids and start grooming kids? Did you expect them? You really think that sin can be contained in somebody's closet? It's got to come out. It's got to get acceptance. And then they got to push it on you, according to the Apostle Paul in Romans 1. And look at this. This is even better. Look at this demon creature. Now the drag queens don't just read stories. They let kids lie on them after the story time. If this ain't grooming for pedophilia, I don't know what is. Am I missing something? How could CPS not throw these idiots in jail? They're grooming. This is pedophilia now. And these stupid parents are there letting it happen to their kids. How long do you think God's going to put up with that? It's almost better if they had a millstone wrapped around their neck and thrown to the deepest oceans. Isn't it interesting, in these last days... These radical sodomites would take the rainbow, which is not only a symbol of God, but it's a symbol of judgment, and use it for their own purposes? Do they not realize if they don't get saved and get right with God through Jesus Christ, is that they're going to end in the same way Sodom and Gomorrah ended? And I'm not trying to be mean, but how did he deal with the sodomites? Not fun. They're mocking the coming judgment by trying to put on the rainbow as their, their thing as if it's not going to come. It's like they're mocking it. It's almost like someone putting 666 on their forehead. They're mocking that. And God's saying, it's coming. You can mock it all you want, but it's not going to change the reality of what's coming your way. Yikes. Yikes. That's scary, guys. This is where we're at. And I pray the rapture happens soon so I don't have to see any more of this nonsense. But unfortunately, if we keep getting delayed and the Lord doesn't come back soon, you're going to see more. It's going to get worse. Pedophilia will then be sanctioned. That's the new thing that's coming, guys. Oh, that could never come. Did you think gay marriage could ever come? It's coming. Let's go back to the text. And it shall be for the sign of the covenant between me and the earth. It's a token that communicates something. That's what the rainbow does. It communicates something, communicates God, communicates not only that I won't destroy the earth, but I'm going to destroy the earth another way. It's coming. Verse 14. And it shall be when I bring a cloud, notice the term cloud, reference to the Shekinah, over the earth, that the rainbow shall be seen in the cloud. Just as John saw the rainbow in the Shekinah cloud around the throne of God in heaven. Same idea. It's the invisible God manifest, but also hearkening to judgment and a future judgment. Verse 15, And I will remember, the Hebrew for I will remember is I'm going to take action. It's not like God forgot. He just takes actions toward the recipients. I will remember my covenant, which is between me and you and every living creature of all flesh. The water shall never again become a flood to destroy all flesh. So he reiterates the promise, but something else, like I said, is coming to destroy all flesh. Verse 16, the rainbow shall be in the cloud. Again, that's a reiteration of it. And I will look on it to remember the everlasting covenant. I want you to note that in your Bibles. Between God and every living creature of all flesh that is on the earth. The Noahic Covenant is called the Everlasting Covenant. That is not a term you put on the New Covenant. It's called the Everlasting Covenant. This is interesting, which means it's still with us today. It's still, the Noahic Covenant is still in effect. But let me bring in some eschatology so you'll understand this. There are multiple reasons why the tribulation needs to happen, and one of the reasons is because man's failure to keep the everlasting covenant. And you'll see this in the book of Revelation. And a lot of people, do not they just gloss over it and don't realize, but the everlasting covenant is a covenant made with all human beings, not just Jews, but every human being. So one of the reasons for the tribulation is because of the violations of the Noahic covenant. Well, what are the violations? Well, number one, you won't spread out. You won't have individual governments. You've actually clumped up into a one-world government, right, for murder. How many murders are you seeing with children all over the world, Christians, Jews, everyone? All the murders. there been more people persecuted in the last, what, 10, 15 years than the last 2,000 years as far as Christian martyrdom. So that's another penalty, Drinking blood and all that other stuff. Drinking blood is associated to demonology. And what are we seeing? High rates of demonology now. And you'll see very high rates in the tribulation. So part of the wrath of God that comes on the earth in the future is due to humans not keeping the Noahic covenant. And that's happening right now. They're not keeping it. And so God's going to pay a penalty to that. Anyway, verse 17, And God said to Noah, This is a sign of the covenant which I established between me and all flesh that is on the earth. So it's a guarantee, it establishes its validity, but it also establishes grace and mercy. Where's the grace and mercy found in this covenant? It's found in, in the promise that God makes, just like he did to Noah. I will provide a way of escape out of my judgment if you will accept my son. In Noah's day is get on the ark, believe me. And now it's get into the ark of my son, And you can avoid the next coming judgment. So there's in the rainbow, there is grace and mercy and an invitation being offered, come into the ark, come into the ark, come into the ark. That's why you have to be at a 45-degree angle to see a rainbow. You have to come where? Through the Messiah. There's only one way to see the rainbow. There's only one way to receive the promise. It's through the Messiah. And if you do that, that's where you experience grace and mercy. Okay. So let's do some application. Application is kind of tough because here's the application. It is to accept the reality of what God promises and what he doesn't. And that's hard. What do you mean, Brandon? Well, let's, let's talk about the new covenant, for instance, the new covenant that we're in. The new covenant promises things to us, but it doesn't promise certain things to us. It doesn't promise that you and I will have... Just a wonderful life and it'll go smooth and everybody will be healthy and wealthy and you won't have any problems. It does not promise that. I don't care what Joel Osteen tells you. It doesn't promise that. But too many Christians have this pie-in-the-sky mentality that if they accept Jesus, he becomes their life enhancer. I like what Ray Comfort said a long time ago in an illustration. The way the Christian church is selling Jesus now is that he's a life enhancer. You add him to your life, and he makes your life all better. That could be further from the truth. Like Ray Comfort said, and I appreciate what he said, he says, like, look, if you're on an airplane and an airplane's going to go down, well, what do you need? You need a parachute because that parachute is a lifesaver because you're going down. The plane's going down. But if you got on the plane and you were told, look, We want you to put on Jesus as a life enhancer. It's going to make your trip on the airplane a lot more comfortable. You're going to feel warm and fuzzy and all this other stuff. So here's this package we want you to wear. If they told you that versus telling you the plane's going down and it's a parachute, how different do you live? If you're told that Jesus is just a life enhancer, it's going to make your trip a little comfortable, why would I need to accept him? It's just a life enhancer. But if I'm told the plane's going down, Your only hope of life is this parachute, and that parachute is Jesus? Well, that's a different Jesus then. That's the Jesus of the Bible, a Savior rather than a life enhancer. And a lot of Christians interpret the new covenant, whether they know it or not, with that kind of Jesus. He's going to make their lives all better. I can tell you this, and you know it yourself. The minute I accepted Jesus, my life got harder. How's that? One must be doing something wrong. No, you should expect that. Life will be harder. Now you're on enemy territory. Now you have a hostile world coming against you. And here's the deal. The new covenant that we're in only promises you and I that things will be all better in the next life. It does not promise that things will all be better. Close your eyes and wish upon a falling star in this life. It doesn't promise that. And unfortunately, that's being sold in American Christianity. And your life will just be all better when you accept Jesus. What if you sell Jesus that way what, and someone accepts him and, and then their life becomes very difficult? What do they think at that point in time? You sold them a bill of goods. You sold them the wrong Jesus. But I want you to think about this. So God determines the promises and he determines the nature of what he promises. And it's our job to understand them. What do you mean? Here's the deal. Typically, we have an outcome or a desire for our lives, or we anticipate our lives to go a certain way. Okay? We have this in our mind, and there's nothing wrong with having those dreams and, and an outcome on your life. And you, you know, it could, you have good intentions or whatnot. But the promises that God makes, He doesn't condescend that I'm going to give you everything you want. He doesn't condescend that I'm going to meet all your desires. No, I'm going to meet all your wants. He doesn't do that. And people get very frustrated with God when life doesn't go the way they want. And typically, you have to understand, God will not provide for your wishes or desires because they might end up hurting you. And this is a tough reality for a lot of people to live with because to accept life on its terms, not on your terms, or way God's allowing things to go, pretty hard. It's pretty difficult, man, and, and you'll sit there and struggle with it, and you're like, I don't get this. And God's saying, I'm not asking you to get this. I'm asking you to trust me because if I gave you what you, you desired right now, and if I made your wishes come true, it would destroy you because you can't see past today. I can see 20 years from now on what these these things would do to you. When it says in the promises, God will meet all your needs according to his glorious riches in Christ. What does that mean, you meet your needs? And a lot of people can't decide the difference between a need and a want. Their wants actually become their needs. Their wishes become their needs. I need this. I need that. And when you read the text in like 1 Timothy chapter 6, you know what it says our needs are? And so you'll be shocked. When you read 1st Timothy chapter 6, it tells you our needs are only food and clothing. What? And then Paul comes in just in, in Paul-esque form. And if you accept that, you will be content. Oh, that's my needs. If I have food and I have clothing, then my needs are met. Yeah. What about my health? I didn't promise you health here. I promised you in the next life that you're going to be resurrected. What about the finances I have? What about retirement? I didn't promise you. I'm your retirement. Oh. Well, I want the best life for my kids. No, your kids are spoiled. And I got to deal with them now because you wouldn't deal with them. Thank you. I want you to notice this. Through it all, no matter what how life gets to you and how rough and and you understand that it's not going to be peaches and cream in this life. It's peaches and cream in the next one, no doubt about that. But why is God doing that to you? Why doesn't He make your life easier? Because He's teaching you something, He's growing you. And you have to learn lessons and that you haven't learned yet. But the promises is the rainbow. I want you to think about this. So there's three rainbows in the Bible. Did you know that? Three appearances of rainbows in the Bible. You know what the first one is? This text. It's an appearance of the rainbow after the storm. What does the rainbow represent? God, his promises, judgment, all that stuff It's all there in the rainbow. So you see a rainbow after the storm. And then if you move to Ezekiel, Ezekiel sees a rainbow in the midst of the Babylonian exile, in the midst of the storm. Second rainbow. Third rainbow. John sees it around the throne of God before the storm. Three rainbows. After the storm, in the middle of the storm, and before the storm. What message do you think God is trying to send to you and I when all three rainbows appear before, middle, and after. He is saying, I know what you're going through is hard, but I need you to look in the hardness of life and see the rainbow. I am there with you. I am there before the storm. I'm in the middle of the storm with you, and I'm going to be there after the storm with you, and that you can bank on. I will never leave you or forsake you, but we got to go through this, and I'm going to go through it with you, And we're going to get through this, and we're going to fight. And you're going to come out the other side victorious. To stay in the fight with me. And that's all what God is trying to do for us about his promises. Stay with me. Trust me. I'll get you through this. And if you can start looking in your life, look for the three rainbows. And I guarantee you, you will see him there in all three ways. Let's pray.
0: Thanks for downloading the Anchor Podcast. We hope this study was a blessing to you. Support for this podcast comes from your generous gifts and donations. For more information about our ministry, we invite you to check out our website, rockharborchurch.net. Also, check out our YouTube channel, Rock Harbor Church Prophecy Update, where we focus on signs of the times and present a wide range of sermons and discipleship lessons. So until next time, keep looking up, for our redemption draws near.